You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Good morning, everyone. How is everyone? I heard someone say to me before church, like, the weather finally gets me. So we are starting emo church today, so that's perfect. Um, okay, so today, you guys are really a, a happy bunch of people this morning. You guys are clapping and cheering and all that stuff, which is an emotion. That's great. Um, so, uh, but today we started a series called uh, Emo Church or The Emo Church. And uh, it's basically a series on becoming an emotionally healthy church. And so we'll be talking about this for the next several weeks on a Sunday morning. Um, I think either one or two things will happen. Um, either the, our Sunday mornings will probably shrink back a little bit over the next several weeks because you're like, I'm just going to pick up later on when they're not so emo. Um, and, uh, or, or a lot of people will start pressing in and like leaning into this series because um, it's, it's vital as we're going to talk about today. So today I'm going to give almost like a sermon of invitation, inviting us into this process that we'll be going through over the next eight weeks. So this is what it's going to look like. It's a seven, seven or eight week series. We haven't decided yet. The purpose is to disciple our church in a different way. We're hoping that this series disciplines and disciples our emotions. Now, we went through a, uh, a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. It's kind of based on a book. We went through it as a staff last year. We spent uh, most of the year going through it. And um, it really just, it, 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 deeply formed us in the best, most healthy way possible, opened our eyes to a lot of, a lot of things that we kind of ignored or we've, um, we didn't ever deal with. And, and so what we, what we wanted to do was we wanted to take our staff through it, then our leaders through it, and then our church through it. So that's the process we've been in. This is what the next several weeks will look like. <clears throat> these seven weeks will include these topics. Today we'll be looking at look beneath the surface, and then we'll be looking next week at breaking the power of the past. That'll be a heavy one. Living in brokenness and vulnerability, living in it, receiving the gift of limits, which all of us need to hear, receiving the gift of limits, um, embracing grieving and loss, which to be completely transparent with you, I still am learning how to, I'm not good at that at all. Um, actually, I'm not good at any of these, but that one especially. Um, make incarnation your model for loving well, making incarnation your model to where embodying this thing, and slow down and lead with integrity. Um, so these will, will be our next several weeks on Sunday morning that we'll be looking at. So what I want to do right now, I wanna, I'm going to have, uh, in a second, Pastor Dave Daly come up, and he's going to share about how our community groups are going to be going through this series um, and what community groups will look like. And then I'm going to have our spiritual formation director, Julie Barrios, come up, who's been our guide, guiding our staff through this over the past year. She'll come up and talk about what to do if your life starts to come unraveled during this series. And both of them will be sharing the teaching duties with me throughout this series. So first, let's welcome up Pastor Dave Daly. I'll stand you right here stand and make right sure there? you do a good oh, job. Oh, man, okay. <laughs> it's like being in the principal's office. Um, so I have three daughters, ages 10, 7, and 5. Why does that matter? Why am I telling you that? Because for two weeks, every four years, my house is consumed with figure skating. Um, 
And it started two days ago. Um, and why, why, why is that important? Because there's this thing that happens when the Olympics come around. And uh, we're sitting on the couch yesterday. Figure skating was going on. And my three daughters, I'm sitting on the couch. And literally, I've got like one on this leg, one here, and one here. And they all have different parts of my shirt or sweatshirt that they're like clinging to. Because they're waiting to see if Ashley Wagner is going to land her triple sow cow or whatever <laughs> it is. And when she does, there's this... Oh my gosh, yes, you did it. You know, there's this outpour of emotion. And I was thinking about that in terms of what we are going to walk through together. Um, There's something in the way God's created us in his image that we are meant to be relational, that that we are, no man is an an island. Um, And so when, uh, when the figure skater is out on the ice, can you imagine if she had been training for four years and doing this routine and it gets, she gets to the Olympics, and there's no one in the arena. And she goes through her whole routine, and she sticks her landings and does her thing, and it's perfect. And at the end, she's just there alone. How she would feel empty, I'm sure. How any of us who've experienced uh, these athletes and performers and people who invoke emotion, who touch the emotion in us, artists, um, how we would be missing out. Um, I feel like that is something we are stepping into deeper in the next seven weeks. Um, that there are places within us um, that have been untouched for a really long time. That there's soil in our hearts. That's an analogy that scripture uses over and over. That there, our hearts are like soil that needs to be cultivated. And it needs, uh, it needs to be watered. And it needs to be tended to. And God does that on his own by the power of his Holy Spirit, but he uses us, brothers and sisters, together. And so for the next seven weeks um, in community groups, we will be living into everything that we talk about on Sunday. And here's my hope and what I've been praying for for community groups, that on Sunday, as we all gather together, that God would break hard soil Amen? That God would break hard soil in our hearts. That he would turn it over and prepare it for what he wants to do. But then as we go out in our week and and we meet in community groups, that we would tend to each other well. That we would water those seeds that are planted. That we would help pull some weeds that have been choking out the word and what God wants to do in us. And so... Community groups um, will look very much the same. They'll gather on the same nights and, um, and, and, and meet throughout the city. But what I'm, I'm praying for, what community groups are going to be doing, is taking this material and really not making this a Bible study because we can hide behind Bible studies, right? Come on, are you guys awake this morning? Like, okay. We can hide behind Bible studies, right? Like, oh, I wonder what, what David was really saying when he said that word. No, what is, what is that invoking in us? <laughs> what is God saying to us? What emotions are we capturing or what are we resisting as we read the, the word together? Um, so, so I have great expectations for what God will do um, as you go to community group. If you've never been to a community group before, know that it's going to be heavy, <laughs> All right, you're walking into to a heavy season, and that's awesome. Um, know that community groups in our church are a safe place to go. 
um, that we talk continually about an open door for anyone, wherever you're at, whatever your story is, whatever you have walked through, you are welcome into the house of God through these community groups and here on Sunday, okay? That we don't, there's no barriers, all right? So, so we pray that you choose to do that. And in groups, uh, if you're in a community group, would you make it a purpose to be vulnerable, to go and trust that the Lord is leading us as a church family into these deep waters together. I believe it's going to be great. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. And we're excited, Julie. All right. <laughs> um, yes, everything Dave said, plus um, just as I've been thinking about this, um, the word that keeps coming to my mind over and over as I think about us walking in this journey together is that we are a part of a conspiracy of love and that our participation in community groups, both as givers and as receivers, is a part of this incredible conspiracy that if you're here today that you are caught up in, whether you realize it or not. And so what that's going to mean for you in the coming weeks is that probably there might be moments where you are asked to hear a confession that someone took a lot of courage to offer and for you to seek the Lord to become the kind of safe person that can receive one. Mm -hmm. The second is that you might need to make a request of another because you might be experiencing things that you don't even know what's happening inside and you need someone to help you with that. Just as always, your fir our first line of care is with community groups. But I also want you to know that these community groups are being undergirded by support and hopefully <laughs> more support than we've ever had. And, and also um, uh, opportunities for additional care outside of community group. So that said, if you are in need of care, um, please utilize first and foremost your community group also, the, Sunday, the prayer that's available on Sunday mornings. And, and, and if you find that you're in need of, of more, please ask, ask your community group leader um, for some referrals for that. And they can help you know what direction to take. And community group leaders, I promise you tomorrow at RCG Sync, you'll hear more about this. So don't freak out too quickly. Um, okay, and so, and the last thing that we're really hoping for is for... Um, for us to keep a pulse on what's happening at our church, we're creating the hashtag EmoChurch. Uh, the EmoChurch hashtag, uh, let me tell you what it's not. Um, it, is, it is not a, a promotion. We're not promoting the EmoChurch movement across San Francisco and the world. Um, we are also... Uh, we're, we want to be able to look at it to understand, like, hey, what are people experiencing? What might they be going through? If there's something that stood out to you and you want people to know about that, feel free to tweet or hashtag EmoChurch. Well, the other thing it is not is it is not an avenue of asking for help. And that, I think, is really important to know. While we do want you to post questions or things that you're pondering, you're not going to get a response through the social network. Um, you're going to have to go through the channels of care that currently exist. So um, if you say, I'm unraveling, hashtag emo church, don't expect a response from me. <laughs> uh, you won't get that. Please talk to your community group leader. Please utilize the prayer team that's available every Sunday. 
and be cared for in this and offer your care that you have to offer others. Thank you. That's good. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you have our church in a season like this, and I don't know really what to expect. I, I have ideas of what might happen, but I truly don't know exactly. And I don't know if you're going to lead our church through a, an intense time of unraveling, or it might just be an intense time of celebration. It might be an intense time of introspection. We don't know, God, but we trust you in all of it. We know that you can meet us where we're at. I pray, God, that uh, for some of us, we haven't felt in a long time. Um, we might feel joy occasionally, and we might feel um, excitement, but we're so afraid to feel pain. And um, Lord, we pray that through the series that, God, you would be invited into the deepest, darkest parts of our soul and of our heart, God, and that you would disciple us, that you would teach us, that you would love us in those moments. We love you. We pray that today that uh, you would begin to, to um, walk with us through this. We offer this whole series to you, and this morning we pray that you would teach us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two years ago, um, I said this. Um, I quoted this, and I think it's, this, it's never been as true then as it is right now. Um, I, I said, I read a tweet two years ago that said, no pastor lives up to what he preaches. If he does, he is preaching too low. And that's honestly how I feel again right now. This is how I feel preaching this series. I'm not preaching as someone has, that has figured this out. I'm preaching this series as a fellow traveler. Um, I just happen to be maybe ahead of you a little bit. I wish I was ahead of you a lot more than I am, but I think I'm only ahead of maybe some of you, not all of you for sure, but some of you only a little bit. And the reason why I can say I'm only ahead a little bit is that I was never discipled emotionally. I, got, I came to follow Christ when I was 16, 17 years old. And when I was discipled, I was discipled well by a youth pastor and a youth group. Um, and all these different people poured into me, and it was awesome, but no one really taught me how to handle my emotions. So this is what the whole, this is how God has made us as a whole person. We are this. This is, we're made as a whole, as whole people. And this is what it means to be a whole person. I don't think anyone would argue with this. It might be more than this, but it's not less than this. We are social, intellectual, spiritual, physical, and emotional. And then when I came to follow Jesus, there was like a plan of discipleship for every single one of these areas, save for one. When I started to follow Jesus, there was a social plan for my discipleship. When I started following Jesus, there was a social dynamic. They told me, okay, now get into fellowship. Once you're a Christian and you start following Christ, get into fellowship, be in fellowship, be in a small group, be in a community group. Live the Christian life out in the context of a local church, a family of believers. They said to me, you need accountability in your life. Jesus had an inner circle of friends. We need an inner circle that knows us and how to hold us accountable, knows the ins and outs of our lives. Live vulnerable with a group of people. I was taught the one another's. To love one another in the Bible, like love one another and bear one another's burdens and do not judge each other and regard one another more than yourself. I was taught all the one another's. So I was disciple socially. 
And then I was discipled intellectually. I was taught how to think through the scriptures. I was taught theology. I was taught who God was, his attributes, how he is omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent. I was taught doctrine. I was taught the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of end times. And some of the doctrines I don't really believe in anymore, but whatever. (laughs) I was taught apologetics. I was taught how to defend the faith, how Christianity is very intellectual belief that can stand up in the highest levels of academia. I was also discipled spiritually. I was taught how to pray, how to pray by myself, how to pray in a small group, how to pray corporately. I was taught lecto divina. I was taught how to meditate on scripture and pray through the scriptures and read the scriptures and pray them in. I was taught devotional and in devotional life, I was taught to wake up and have a time alone with Christ and to journal and how to read the Bible devotionally. And I was taught, I was discipled physically. I joined a Jesus Jazzercise group. No, I didn't. (laughs) Maybe I did. Um, No, I was taught holiness. I was taught how to keep my physical body holy. And what I put into my body and what I did with my body mattered to God. I was taught modesty, how to keep a modest appearance as followers of Jesus. I was taught taught care, how to care for my body since it was the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when it came to emotions, maybe you were like me, where you as a follower of Jesus might have been started to be discipled in all of these areas, but when it comes to your emotions, I was taught things like this. Believe fact over feeling. You have to tell your feelings where to take a hike. You have to believe no matter how you feel the truth. And you you have to feel, um, if you feel too much, if you're too emotional, you become a double-minded man, as James says, unstable in all his ways. I was taught Jeremiah 7, 9, that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and who could know it? And instead of discipling me through feelings, I was just told to say, your heart, your heart is wicked. Don't go with your heart. Don't follow your feelings. I was told not to listen to the dashboard confessional. <laughs> or any other emo bands. No Jimmy Eat World, no My Chemical Romance, no Page of the Lion, nothing. Because once you start to get emo, it'll lead you away from the faith. I was basically taught directly or indirectly that emotions were not a huge part of the faith. Emotions are not fact, emotions are feeling. Don't base your faith on feelings, feelings can change. Now I agree with parts of that, but I am a very emotional person. You can ask my wife, you can ask the staff. I'm a very emotional person and the reason why I'm emotional is because I was made in the image of God. And God had emotion. Not that all my emotions are right or good, but they're true. I'm made in the image of God. I mean, I have emotions. But here's the question. What do I do with my emotions? I was never really taught how to bring my emotions under God in a mature way. And bring my emotions under God and go, God, here are my emotions and I want to mature in my emotions like all the other areas. Like I want to mature spiritually, 
Like how I want to mature physically, how I want to mature intellectually, socially. I want to mature emotionally. I was never taught how to do that. And here's what happens when you're not taught how to mature emotionally. When followers of Jesus are not discipled emotionally, we either think all emotions are bad. We think emotions are bad. So when we start to feel emotional, we shut the emotions off. And we go with the mindset of, um, I know, I, I have to believe this. We can't, we have to deal with emotions with facts. I feel this way, but here, here's the truth. And I have to, I have to get, get rid of my emotions, get rid of the anger, get rid of the bad emotions, just get rid of all those emotions. You're like, because I believe this, and I believe that, and I want joy to come in right now. And what happens is, and the result is, and this is where I was for a, a large part of my life, especially one of the most difficult parts of my Christian walk when I was, I think, 20, 21 years old, was I was really afraid to feel. I started becoming afraid to feel. And I knew if I started to feel what, what the possible, I opened a door to all of this um, pain. I opened a door to all these emotions. I don't want to feel these emotions. And so I became afraid of them. And so I, I, I ditched them all together and I didn't, I didn't want to feel them anymore. That's one of the things that happens is we, think, we start thinking all emotions are bad. Another thing that happens if we're not discipled emotionally is we, we try to overcome bad emotions with good emotions. So we cover up the bad emotions with good emotions immediately. So when we start to feel depressed, we try to have the emotion of joy. I'm getting depressed. I, I need joy right now. But listen, but because, and since we're never discipled emotionally, because we're never taught how to get joy in a healthy way, we don't know how to get joy in a healthy way, so we make up our own ways of getting joy and getting us out of depression. When we do that, we start to develop patterns that are so unhealthy and so wrong in our Christian walk. We start to feel depressed and we want joy. We know joy is good and so we go and get joy, but we get them in a very unhealthy way. We get joy from a bottle. Joy might come by just trying to be around other people. I'm being depressed, I just need to get around other people. Or we might start to serial date people. We're afraid to be alone, we're afraid to be without a relationship. Or we close ourselves off from people that hurt us, that's how we get joy, like, okay, I have, I have so much joy because no one's allowed into my heart because no one can hurt me anymore, therefore I feel all this joy. That's a really unhealthy way to get joy. Or a very common one, a very, very, very common one, and almost baptized, quote-unquote, sanctified one, which is not true, is we put on Christian music that makes us feel good. I'm starting to get depressed. I'm starting to get depressed. Okay, Christian music. Oh, yeah. This is it. <laughs> Tell me you don't do that. You wake up in the morning. I'm like, I just feel dry. I feel so, so dry. Christian music station. You're like, oh, I'm in the throne room right now. I'm there. <laughs> This is, this is the tricky one. This is funny because I, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have an account of King Saul losing the throne to King David, but he, wasn't, he was anointed king, but he wasn't actually king yet. And King Saul, the spirit of God left him, and, and God, it says, gave him like this, this tormenting spirit. And he was tormented. He was depressed. And someone said, you know what you should do? You're depressed. You know what you should do? You should hire someone to play you um, the latest Christian music. It actually, and I didn't say later Christian music. It said harp, but whatever. Basic, same thing. <laughs> you should hire someone to play you the harp. 
Like, well, who do you know that plays the harp? Well, well this, this young guy, David, he played the harp real good. Like, bring him in. So they bring him in, and every time Saul was tormented, David would just play his harp, and then it said he felt better. And we think that's what we need. But the whole moral of the story is Saul is a wicked person. He never gets better. He never does. He never gets down to the root. He just covers it up by bringing David in, and then he tries to kill him. He tries to kill his, his worship leader. It's happened before, but that's not healthy. Like, oh, you worship me, just play for, oh, I feel so good. And he throws spears at him. He's like, I want to kill you. Like, that's not a healthy thing. We do the same thing. We're like, oh, I just want music. And it's covering up depression. It's covering up emotion and never gets to the root of it. Why do you feel that way? What's going on in your heart? So when we do not, when we're not discipled emotionally, it leads to trouble. Here's a quote out of the Emotionally Healthy Church. The writer writes, Peter Scorzero writes, it is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And then he lists examples of, okay, let me put some flesh on this for you. And when he does, it gets, it gets right to the heart and it's hard to read, but I'll read it. He says, you can be a dynamic, gifted speaker for God in public, but be an unloving spouse and parent at home. That hurts. That's emotional unhealth. You can function as a church community group leader or a prayer leader and be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. My community group is going so good, but you are unteachable, insecure, and defensive. You're emotionally, and it's impossible to be emotionally immature and still be spiritually mature. You can memorize entire books of the New Testament and still be unaware of your depression, anger, and even displacing it on other people. Oh, I know all the book of James, and I can quote the Sermon on the Mount, but you're depressed and angry and just place all that on other people. You can fast and pray a half a day a week for years as a spiritual discipline and, and constantly be critical of others, justifying it as discernment. Why discern that person's a wolf? And this is why, and you're just critical of everyone. You can lead dozens of people in a Christian ministry while driven by a deep personal need to compensate for a nagging sense of failure. You can have a, a successful Christian ministry, but you're driven. What drives you is this need to compensate for failing at something else. And so the church is a perfect platform. A failure everywhere else, but right here I can be successful. You can pray for deliverance from the demonic realm. You can pray for yourself, God, deliver me from evil. When in reality, you're simply avoiding conflict. Repeating an unhealthy pattern of behavior traced back to the home in which you grew up. When we get to the geneogram, it's so heavy. Actually, I'll pause right here and tell you that I sat with the author last year. And... We were in New York City, and he was meeting with me and the other reality pastors, and Scorzero just looked at us, and he said, do you know what pastoring is? And we're like, we're all pastors for a very long time. We're like, "Uh uh-huh, no, no, we don't. (laughs) Like, tell us. Like, Yoda, tell us. 
And he actually said it in the other voice. No, he didn't. Um, and he said, you know what all pastoring is? All pastoring is, is reparenting people into the family of God. Because everyone has a family of origin. And you saw success in your family of origin a certain way, and the way you fought and got angry a certain way in your family of origin, the way you expressed your emotions in the family of origin, the way that you believed about sexuality in your family of origin, a way that you, 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 you saw failure in your family of origin. And most of those are wrong. And it's telling people that's not how we behave in the family of God. That is not what success looks like in the family of God. That's not what anger looks like in the family of God. That's not how you process anger in the family of God. This is how you do this in the family of God because that's all pastoring is. And so then we asked him to be our pastor after that. So um, it was, for me, this one right here, and when we get to it, it, it's heavy because I think a lot of us are from a family of origin where we we might even have all this stuff so locked, so deep into our, 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 so repressed even, that we don't even know we're operating out of it. The next one is you can be outwardly cooperative at church, but unconsciously try to undercut or defeat your supervisor by coming habitually late to work, constantly forgetting meetings, withdrawing and becoming apathetic, or ignoring the real issue behind why you're hurt and angry. Like we can look, what, 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 this, what he's trying to get at here is that you can look very, very spiritual, but underneath it all be very emotionally unhealthy. And one of the results of all this is that we're so darn afraid to really feel. We're so afraid to feel deeply. We're afraid of our emotions because either someone in our past unloaded all of their emotions on us and scared us to where we're like, I don't want to be like that and I'm keeping all my emotions to myself. I was emotionally abused or I was emotionally this or that and because of that, I've become this like recluse and I don't want to share my emotions because someone has damaged me with their emotions. Or we're afraid of emotions because we have told other people how we feel and we weren't healthy enough to be able to understand how we feel or the root of what was going on, and we unloaded on someone, and we saw the destruction that it caused. And we're afraid of our own emotions. We're going, I, my emotions hurt people, and I don't, I don't want to tell people how I feel anymore because I've hurt too many people that way. Or we're afraid of our emotions because emotions feel bad. Emotions feel so bad, and we've become afraid to feel. We've become afraid to feel the emotions, the pain, or whatever. In the book, The Cry of the Soul, the writers point out the real reason we don't want to feel when they said this. So the reason we don't want to feel is that feeling exposes the tragedy of our world and the darkness of our hearts. The route to facing what we feel is not by devaluing the darkness of what we feel, but by valuing the deep structure of why we don't want to feel. Once we face why feeling is so hard, then we can move beyond what we feel to the deeper energy within us that keeps us from, from grappling honestly with our emotions. Then we will not only feel more deeply, but more importantly, we will feel our feelings in a way that exposes our struggle with God. I don't even think I know what that means. But that resonates deeply with me. 
I think that might resonate with you as well. Like, I'm so afraid to feel, but the real reason I'm, a, I'm really afraid to feel is because I know what it's going to reveal in my own heart. I know it's going to reveal my own struggles with God. I know it's going to reveal my own struggles with humanity. I know it's going to reveal my own struggles with the world. I know that, and I don't even want to deal with that. And so I'll just cover it up with good feelings and good thoughts. I think I can start to understand this quote by looking at someone who lived into their humanity more full and real than anyone who's ever lived. Who lived in a way where he was not afraid of his feelings and exposing his struggles to God. And that's why I asked you to turn to Mark chapter 14. We see it in the life of Jesus. This is such a heavy passage. The words in the original language in the Greek are so pregnant with grief and sorrow and pain to where most commentators and most theologians say that the words basically mean that Jesus could have died on the spot, that he was so overcome with emotion, that his heart could have given out at any moment. One writer writes, one gospel writer writes that he was sweating drops of blood. That's how full of emotion he was, how full of, how full of stress and anxiety and pain he was emotionally. And we get this in Mark. It says, they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, and Gethsemane, that word is wine press. They went to a place where they squeezed the grapes out to get the juice. And the place where Grapes were squeezed and destroyed to get the juice out. That's where Jesus was. Called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, so he's saying this first to his his disciples. He says, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be, in front of his friends, deeply distressed and troubled. Deeply distressed and troubled. And he says this to them, and to God, obviously, my soul, my heart is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This wasn't hyperbole. This wasn't a parable. Jesus is walking maybe short of breath, his heart pounding so deeply in his chest, his emotions so on override that he says, I am overwhelmed with sorrow, with fear, with anxiety, with all of these emotions, almost to where I can die right now. Then he said, could you please stay here and watch? Just, just, just watch and just pray and just stay here. I need to go over here and talk to my father. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. So he falls to the ground and he asks his father, Father God, Abba, Daddy, which is translated Daddy, which is an endearing way of you saying Daddy or Dada. Please, let this cup pass from me. I I don't want to go to the cross. I I don't want to bear the sin of the world. I don't want to be separated from you. I can't deal with this. And then he said, everything is possible for you. Almost saying, I don't know if you've ever prayed this in the hour of desperation. God, you can do anything. When you start saying that, you know that you're, you get desperate. God, you can do, if you're God, you can do anything. 
please let this cup pass from me. And then he says, not yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the most human, the most uh, human picture we have of Jesus recorded. And it's also the most emotional picture we have of Jesus recorded. And neither of those are an accident. Because to be human is to be emotional. To be human is to feel deeply. But we often hate to feel. We pretend that the feelings are not there or they're not real. We deny them. Like, I don't feel this way. I'm I'm over it. I'm going to go to the cross. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go. Come on. Or we distort them. We make them into something else. In the garden, Jesus was not afraid to feel. In the garden, he was not afraid to feel and be completely human. The perfect human was not afraid to feel. Not afraid of how his feelings, when his feelings came out, he was not afraid that his feelings would reveal his struggle with the Father. He was not afraid that when he started saying how he felt, that in there would also be, I'm actually struggling with your will right now. This is Jesus the perfect man, perfect God, struggling with the will of the Father. And he was not afraid that his emotions would reveal his struggle. Jesus was 100% God, and Jesus was 100% human. We focus so much on Jesus being divine that we forget that he was human. And in his humanity, he struggled with the will of God. For many people in the church, the repression of feelings and emotions have been elevated to the status of spiritual or virtuous. And when I, when I don't have emotion, and I don't have any emotions, then I'm spiritual. When I don't have any emotions, then I'm virtuous. And so, we, so denying anger and ignoring pain and skipping over depression and running from loneliness and avoiding confusing doubts has become a way of working out our spiritual lives. But what if anger and sadness and depression, what if even lust were emotions that God wants to meet you in? What if all of those emotions that you're feeling are ways for God to meet you there? The author of uh, The Cry of the Soul writes this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Denying them makes us turn our back on reality. That's not really happening. That's not really happening. I don't, feel, I don't feel that way. You can't meet God that way. But when you actually acknowledge your emotions, you listen to your emotion, that brings you right into reality, and in reality is where you meet God. This is where I believe emotional health starts. By letting God into our emotions, by letting our emotions reveal our struggles with God and inviting him into the pain. There's a a couple of, I don't know, a while back ago I was doing a men's conference and afterwards we were doing prayer and someone walked up to me for prayer and said that he was struggling with lust and and, um, pornography and shame. Could I pray for him? And typically, how you pray for someone like that is you pray the victory of God over them, and you pray like, 
you're forgiven, confess you're forgiven, and then like you're, you're new in Christ and all that other stuff. And, and I really felt like I'm going to lead him into, invite Jesus into where he's at. So I say, what I want you to do is I'm going to actually ask you to pray, and I want you to invite Jesus into your shame. And I want you to invite Jesus into your lust. I want you to invite Jesus into that place where, you, where, where the root of where all this is taking place. Invite him in. And he just went white as a ghost and was like, are you crazy? No, 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 pray I get better. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying. Well, invite Christ into this. That's not how it works. Like, pray a good prayer over me. I want to feel good right now. I'm like, it's not going to happen, man. Pray, invite him into this very moment of shame for you. Back to the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, we see that this is how Jesus, who I believe is the greatest picture of, that we have of a human fully lived into his humanity, how he dealt with the, his emotions before God during the most traumatic and emotional part of his life. Jesus doesn't like claim the victory. He, he, said, he just invites God into this moment of like, I'm gonna die. Like before I even get to the cross, before they even start to beat me and hang me up on a cross, I'm gonna die right now because I can't take it. My heart can't take it. And he brings God into this very place. And this is how I think that Jesus dealt with his emotions during the most traumatic and emotional part of his life. This is how he dealt with it. First thing we see is give God your feelings. Give your feelings. And we see that connected to my soul is overcome with sorrow to the point of death. So what he did, what Jesus did was he took his feelings and he gave them to God. He's like, my, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Those two words together means that, he was, that grief enveloped him, that grief surrounded him, that he was completely saturated. His whole consciousness was saturated with grief. And he not only told his feelings to his friends, he told them to his father. He gave his feelings to God. The second thing that we see Jesus doing is giving his desires. And there we see, let this cup pass from me. You see that? Take this cup from me. He gives God his desires. He's like, okay, God, here's my feeling. This is how I feel. Friends, this is how I feel. I am overcome with sorrow. I'm overcome with emotion. I'm gonna die. God, Please, just take this, take this cup from me. I don't, I don't want to go this way. Now, this is a very tricky one. Because if you know the story, these desires to not go to the cross were not the desires of the Father. Nor were they the purpose for Jesus being sent. He was sent to be our sacrifice, to die our death, to take our place. We deserve the cross that Jesus hung on. We have sinned emotionally, physically, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. Not him. We have. And Jesus was sent there to be our atoning sacrifice of love. But Jesus gives God his desires, even though his desires, and without sounding blasphemous, I'll just say this, but the text says, even if those desires are wrong, God, I don't want to go to the cross. I know that was why I was sent. That's not, I know that's why I'm here, but I, let this pass from me. What if we started to bring God in 
to our deepest desires. What if we were free to start doing this before God? Think about the implications this has on lust. Think about the implication this has on success or entitlement. Imagine the moment of temptation. You say, God, I really want to look at naked pictures right now. Those of you that struggle with pornography. I really do want to. I am confessing all of my deepest, just, I, 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 want, I, I, want, I want to do that. I, I do want to touch that. I want to be famous, God. I want people to know my name, God. I, I want success. What if we were to bring God into every emotion, even if those desires were wrong? And the only way this works is if the last part happens. Give your trust. The last thing that Jesus does is he gives his trust. It says, yet not what I will, but what you will. I really do want to do this, but your will, not my will. I trust you, God. You can trust God with your emotions, even your wrong emotions. Surrender is the place where your emotions start to get healthy. Surrender is a place where you start to be honest. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I desire. And here's where I trust. Can we do this together? Can we give God our feelings and our desires and our trust? See, Jesus not only modeled it, the scriptures say over and over again that he is the firstborn from among the dead, meaning he went through it and he lived to tell about it. He went through it and he lives forevermore to bring us into health, to bring us into peace, to bring us into shalom. He not only went there as a model, but he went there as a substitute and he went to bring us in ourselves. And the only way to peace and the only way to health is through Jesus. So church, I pray that this opening sermon in this series is more of a sermon of invitation, inviting us to journey together into this. Let's pray. God, we, I think a lot of us can confess that we don't know where necessarily to go right now. Uh, some of us might feel emotional, others might not, just okay, that was that. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that searches the deep things of God and searches the deep things of us, and as deep cries unto deep, that you, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God would search us, would know us, know our anxious thoughts, know our worries, our doubts, our fears, and meet us there, God. Draw us to a place of confession where we tell you our feelings, our desires, and God, that we can give you our trust. This is a long process, Lord. That's what sanctification looks like, God. So we surrender to you. And I just don't want to sound cliche when I say that, God, but like, like the deep parts of our emotion, that 
I know that just, I just even sense right now there's just so much desire in this room. And some of the desire is for good things and some of the desire is for bad things. Worst thing that we can do, Lord, is to keep those desires from you. Because that's a lie, because you know that. You know our desires. But to confess them to you. Bring us forward in health for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.